Hello, and welcome to this Ropes and Gray podcast. I'm Catherine Schoolham, counsel in the Ropes and Gray Asset Management Group in San Francisco. I'm excited to have you join us for this first installment of our podcast series on California law considerations for asset managers. With me today is Kevin Engel to talk about developments in California privacy law. Kevin is counsel in our data, privacy, and cybersecurity group and advises many of our asset management clients on compliance with federal and state data protection laws. This includes, of course, the Graham-Leach-Briley Act's privacy and safeguard rules, but also state privacy laws that contain increasingly onerous compliance requirements. Kevin, what is happening in California? Well, Catherine, this is a, a great time to provide an update on this topic. The California Consumer Privacy Act, or the CCPA, has been in operation since January 2020. We'll come back in a moment to how it applies to asset managers, but as of January 1st of this year, amendments to the CCPA put in place by the California Privacy Rights Act have gone into operation, and on July 1st, they will become enforceable. Among other things, they require expanded notices and, in some instances, new contractual terms with service providers. They also impose additional restrictions on the use of personal information and create new privacy rights, among many other things. Thanks, Kevin. So certainly a timely topic, and it's worth flagging these developments. But as you mentioned, for our current audience, it's important to understand what all this means for asset managers. For example, the CCPA includes an exception for most investor information that is collected by funds and their sponsors. Can you explain how the CCPA applies to asset managers? That's correct, and, and we don't want to overstate its application in this space. The CCPA does put outside of its scope of application information that is subject to the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act, which could include most information assets managers collect about their natural person investors, that is, real people, not institutional investors. But there's still important information that asset managers collect that is subject to the law. For example, information collected about some prospective investors prior to their admission to a fund. It would also likely include some information the asset manager collects online, also information about natural persons, again, that's individuals, that is not subject to the GLBA, like information about trust beneficiaries. And importantly, the CPRA undid some exceptions that previously applied for information related to employees in business contexts. That means information about an organization's own employees will be in scope now, as will information about employees of other entities with which the asset manager interacts, like information about the owners of institutional investors a fund may collect for their KYC purposes, as one example. And the law also sets up parameters as to which asset managers it applies. That's right. The, the CCPA has um, scoping criteria that you need to pay particular attention to. The CCPA only applies to for-profit institutions that do business in California, collect and process personal information about California residents, and meet one of three thresholds, the most obviously applicable being having more than $25 million in revenue. Okay. So, so let's take each of those requirements into first the doing business prong. This problem is important because even if a business has no physical location in California, it could still be subject to the CCPA if it is found to be doing business in the state. Now, the Act does not define doing business, although it does provide some examples of what would not constitute doing business in California. For example, it provides very narrowly that businesses collecting or selling consumer personal information where every aspect of that commercial conduct takes place wholly outside of California are not subject to the Act's requirements. 
Has there been any guidance from the California Attorney General on what this problem means since the act came into force? The California AG has not directly addressed the question under the CCPA, but we are able to look at related statutes and judicial decisions, particularly under California's Revenue and Taxation Code and the California Corporations Code. Both of those statutes use the doing business concept and are good touch points. They suggest that doing business is continuous and active engagement rather than activity that would be considered only incidental contact with the state. To be clear, the California AG could ultimately interpret the statute differently. What active engagement means is is really a fact-based determination. Soliciting investors in California is one example of conduct that might be considered actively engaging in the state. But again, it's a fact-specific analysis, and each asset manager will need to evaluate the question on a case-by-case basis. Next, it's crucial to understand what personal information is. Importantly, that the term is very broadly defined. It's not just things like social security numbers. It's any information that relates to an identifiable California resident, even something like an IP address. So it's extremely easy to fall within this prompt. That's that's absolutely right. Finally, the threshold requirement. Kevin, you mentioned that having an annual gross revenue of over 25 million is the factor that is most likely to be relevant for asset managers. Gross revenue isn't defined and unlike other threshold prongs, does not appear to have a geographic limit. How should asset managers think about this number? Is it basically all revenue streams, including carry, management fees, transactional fees, earned by an asset manager globally? That's right. The the revenue threshold is generally understood as global. It's not limited to revenue generated in California or from California residents. It gets at the size of the business and the resources it has to comply. Now, having worked through each of those prongs and assuming it is in scope, what should an asset manager do to comply with the act? Compliance is really a process. Uh, You're not going to achieve compliance all at once. There's no silver bullet. Since the CCPA came into effect in January of 2020, in-scope businesses have had to do with principles common to many data privacy rules, such as notice requirements, consumer data subject rights, and vendor management requirements. The CCPA also has some unique requirements relating to disclosure of whether the business sells personal information and an opt-out mechanism if so, along with implementing uh, reasonable security standards. What we're discussing today is the development of a lot of these concepts under the CPRA, the California Privacy Rights Act, which, as I said, amended the CCPA from the start of this year. Let's start with notices, which is is really low-hanging fruit in a lot of ways as far as compliance goes. You're supposed to supply website privacy notice with information about how you collect and use personal information, both offline and online. It's more comprehensive than most website privacy notices have historically been and should also inform people about their privacy rights. In addition to the website privacy notice, which, like I said, is really low-hanging fruit in many ways, you're also supposed to supply a so-called notice at collection. That's a notice you supply to individuals at or before the point where you collect their personal information which can be a challenge for individuals like your business contacts at institutional investors. One way I've tried to incorporate that notice is to include it as part of a generally applicable investor privacy notice with a requirement to supply the notice at collection to other individuals whose information the investor will provide to the asset manager. But that's not the only way to do it. It's just one option and asset managers may find it more or less attractive. I suppose doing so has the advantage of putting your privacy disclosures to investors and their employees in one place. 
One downside, though, is that you are adding some complexity to a notice otherwise intended only for individual, not institutional investors. That's right. You could also email a copy of the notice or draft a separate notice as part of your subdoc. Like I said, there's no one-size-fits-all solution. What are some other obligations? I think an important one to keep in mind has to do with record retention. We're hearing a lot about record retention these days with the SEC focused on retaining text messages and other information arguably falling within its record-keeping rules, that's that's all about preserving information. Uh, these rules under the CPRA are really about the opposite. They're about deleting personal information when you no longer have a reasonable business purpose for keeping it. Only keeping personal information for as long as you have to and have procedures around that. California isn't alone in trying to address this issue. It also comes up in other privacy laws. And uh, the FTC's recent updates to its own safeguards rule, which are applicable to private funds, um, and are now in operation also address it. That sounds like a challenge to implement. How are managers dealing with these countervailing considerations? It really requires a balance. Managers obviously need to keep information that they're required by law to retain. The laws are very, very clear on that. Uh, but they should move away from the mindset that they should retain all information indefinitely. If there's not a legal or other business need to keep personal information about individuals, asset managers should have processes for its deletion. It's also a practical way to avoid some data breaches and other privacy issues. If managers don't have sensitive personal information, it can't be subject to a data breach. And that makes sense. Now, it's not just notice considerations and information retention issues that are going to become more pointed for managers as these items become enforceable under the CPRA. Separately, I'm seeing a lot of new contractual requirements in agreements I'm reviewing. Right. So the CCPA requires that businesses enter into contractual terms with their service providers, contractors, and third parties that they sell or share personal information to for purposes of cross-context behavioral advertising, putting restrictions on their secondary uses and disclosures of personal information. Let's focus on service providers for the moment because that's probably the most applicable. With some exceptions, service providers are supposed to be restricted by contract from using personal information for purposes other than providing their services. In addition, they must agree to assist in responding to data subject rights requests and even provide the right to audit compliance in some circumstances. So how are you seeing that play out? Unfortunately, there's still a great deal of confusion. These are all new concepts that people are grappling with uh, and vendors are still struggling to get it right. Audit rights are a good example. The statute requires that businesses be permitted to quote, take reasonable and appropriate steps to ensure that the service provider is using personal information in a manner consistent with the business's obligations under the CCPA, end quote. But what does that mean in practice? Uh, There are some examples in the regulations, like possibly having contractual rights to conduct manual reviews and automated scans of the service provider systems, but many service providers are pushing back on those kinds of requirements for the obvious reason that they can be quite intrusive. So this sounds like another area where managers and vendors may take different approaches until further guidance comes out, which unfortunately might not be until there is an enforcement action by the California authorities on this requirement. Let's move on. Let's cover one final obligation. You also mentioned that the CPRA created new privacy rights. Can you describe what's happening there? Of course. There's a new right to correct inaccurate personal information and to limit uses of certain sensitive personal information. Probably what's most significant for asset managers, though, are rights that were actually already available, but are now applicable to more data because of the roll-off of those employee and business contact exceptions. Previously, amendments to the CCPA carved out of its scope information related to employees, contractors, and most business contact information. 
but the CPRA did away with those exceptions starting January 1st of this year. That means that the rights to access personal information, also called the right to know, to get a copy of the personal information you have about someone, that's another way of describing that concept, and um, second, the right to delete personal information now apply to those categories of information, along with the new rights that I just mentioned, like the right to correct personal information. To be clear, these rights are not absolute. There, there are exceptions to these rights. For example, just because someone says, delete my data, an asset manager is not necessarily required to do so. The manager might have legal reasons why it needs to keep it, for example, and in that situation may continue to hold on to it. So on July 1, these amendments to the CCPA we've been discussing will become enforceable for violations on or after July 1, 2023. Can you touch briefly on what that means in the context of this California privacy law regime? Absolutely. The, the CPRA created a new agency, the California Privacy Protection Agency, that is specifically charged with enforcing the law. It is the first such agency in the United States specifically charged with enforcing privacy law. So we expect it to be an active regulator. With that said, the agency is still staffing up and is stating publicly that it's not expecting to launch into aggressive enforcement immediately. But the fines that are applicable can be quite significant, up to $2,500 for each violation or $7,500 for each intentional violation or violation involving children. Regulators will typically argue that each individual impacted by alleged noncompliance constitutes a separate violation. So those fines can add up very quickly if the regulator chooses to be aggressive. It's also worth noting that the Attorney General will still have enforcement authority, not just the CPPA. And the Attorney General has already been aggressive in conducting investigations under the statute. The primary targets are likely to be consumer-facing businesses rather than asset managers, but it's certainly possible that an aggrieved employee or other individual could spark regulatory interest. In addition to all of this, there is a private right of action for certain data breaches involving consumers, and that creates significant risk um, in relation to data breaches. The potential statutory penalties there are up to $750 uh, per individual impacted by the data breach. So again, that can add up very, very quickly if a company unfortunately does experience a data breach. Thank you, Kevin. That's a lot to unpack. We, we've covered quite a bit today. Hopefully this has been a helpful update to our asset manager listeners. If anyone has any questions on this or any related topic discussed today, please don't hesitate to reach out. Also, for more information on these or other topics of interest in the asset management or the data privacy and cybersecurity areas, please visit our website at www.ropesgray.com. If you enjoyed today's discussion, please subscribe and listen on Apple, Google, Spotify, or your preferred podcast service to other installments in this series of California Law Considerations for Asset Managers. Thank you again for listening.